Welcome to FCAT After School, a podcast project from SFU's Faculty of Communication, Art, and Technology. In each episode, we join student hosts in conversation with alumni as they explore career journeys since graduation and gather advice for the next generation. In this episode, SIAT, or School of Interactive Arts and Technology, student Megan Young sits down with UX designer and program alumnus Eric Lee. Eric reveals his secrets to work-passion balance and overcoming imposter syndrome, as he describes his personal journeys towards education and entrepreneurship. To top it all off, some helpful tips for personal branding and portfolio building, no matter what stage of career you find yourself in. Here are Seat's own Megan Young and Eric Lee on FCAT After School. Welcome to the podcast. I'm going to ask you to start off by doing a favor for me, a classic favor, which is to introduce yourself, kind of talk about what you do, what your current job is, all that good stuff. Yes, I'm Eric. And I'm a UX designer at a finance uh, fintech called Central One. On the side, I also host events, in-person events for a Vancouver-based UX design community called Vancouver Design Chicken. And those are the two probably the most meaningful things we'd like to know. Mm-hmm. You mentioned UX designer. Now I'm going to ask you, what is a UX designer, like obviously the name kind of mentions what it is, you know, user experience designer. Yes. Um, however, I feel like the label encompasses a lot of complex processes, right? And I feel like people who are not familiar with the field that we're in can kind of use UI and UX interchangeably. So I wanted to ask you, what is UX design and what are some unique features that make it different from, say, UI design? Yeah, I get that question a lot, especially when I was starting off. Uh, I would even say UI design doesn't exist without UX to some aspect. Uh, one of my first ever mentors, she told me, like, if you're looking for uh, a product that's for functionality, you go to an engineer. If you are looking for beautiful and aesthetic visuals, you go to an artist. But if you're looking for something that's both functional and aesthetic, you go to a designer. Now, adding UX to it. So at its basic essence, I think UX designer basically looks at the overall experience of the product. We design that experience. So for example, how does the product look and feel? How do we interact with the product? And how does it fulfill its functions and more? So as, as a UX designer, I at least spend most of the time communicating with my teams. So like product managers, product owners, my fellow developers, uh, other UX teams and stakeholders. So when, it's, when I'm given a task, it, it is kind of like my responsibility to find out everything there is know and understand about it before starting with ideating and solutions, getting all to the UI aspect on Figma, dragging shapes and Mm -hmm. sizes all around. That to me is a proper job of a UX designer. Yeah, so you're kind of like 
the mega mind of the project. Uh, the, it, <laughs> it, it, if it comes to that, yes, a lot, lot of positions are looking exactly like a mega mind. Yeah. So in Seat, we learn about something called design thinking. Now, design thinking is a very important concept when it comes to being a UX designer. How important is design thinking when performing your job? And how do you even learn how to design think? Right. That's a very good question. Yes, you mentioned that we learn design thinking from ASEAN. But I feel like even at SEAT, you don't learn the full definition of uh, the process of design thinking. We follow a version of design thinking. In fact, everybody, even outside of our school or people just trying to solve a problem, follow design thinking to some aspect, even without themselves knowing about it, actually. Now, design thinking to me as a UX designer, it's absolutely essential because even though we don't get to, we also don't get to follow it exactly step by step. We usually improvise and follow version of it as well. Now, when it comes to learning design thinking, try to apply it within your own projects or anything. You don't even have to do it on your projects or case studies, maybe even just everyday problem solving tasks. This will help create a deeper understanding on why design thinking is like a cheat code to solving any and all problems. And another part uh, that I would like to add about design thinking is like uncertainty is something that we face a lot in, in the real life. When we were growing up uh, in our school, there's one, one right answer to one question. But now when we come to the real life, everything seems uncertain. There's a, there, there are multiple answers to mul a lot of problems and we don't know which one's the right answer. So if you know, understand design thinking, it will help you follow a process, follow steps, and also make you comfortable with uncertainty. That's my viewpoint about design thinking. You know, if we take what you just mentioned to us about design thinking, I'm going to give you kind of a scenario, a POV oh. role play scenario, okay? That sounds fun. So I have an app. I'm going to make it easy. Uh, I have a food delivery app, okay, called Food Dash. Okay. <laughs> totally original name. Very, very nice. Okay. However, I've been looking at my app reviews and, you know, users are saying, mm, I kind of prefer Leap the Dishes over this app, you know. Mm -hmm. this, this app is kind of lacking in things. And so say I'm a client that comes to you, I'm like, Eric, help me. I don't know why my app is not working. I don't know why people prefer the other app. But if we relate this to design thinking, maybe this is a little broad and you can narrow it down. But if we apply design thinking to this situation, how would you go about it? Right. That's a very interesting um, scenario you gave me because that is also a very common situation a lot of people a lot of companies or a lot of products are at. So first, I'll go back to those users, uh, people who are complaining, people who say they prefer this over my own product. Go interview them, talk to them, observe them using our product and use and observe them using the other product. Then you'll get insights to why your product's not working or your product's not helping your users solve the need 
then we can go to the second cycle, which is ideating and brainstorming solutions, and then finally testing those again. And then it goes back over and over and over again <laughs> till, till you die <laughs> because iteration never stops. Mm-hmm. Like if iteration, if there was like a final 100% final perfect product for our users, then a lot of the companies that we know would stop hiring mm-hmm. <laughs> for hiring more employees and be like, okay, done. We solved the problem. We don't have a need anymore. We'll just rake in money. No, that's why like Apple, Google, all those big companies, they're still hiring more people. They still improve their product more and more and try to meet their users' needs. Mm-hmm. So I asked around my classmates, my friends who are in SEAT, and I asked them, what's the biggest question that you want Eric to answer today? Oh, okay. And they wanted to know, uh, what skills did you learn in SEAT that maybe helped you prepare for the working world or, you know, skills that transferred over and you found helpful while finding a job or performing in your job and a lot of students also wonder about co-op which is a wonderful opportunity that SFU offers if you have co-op experience how was that experience for you and was there anything unique um, such as unique skills that you learned from co-op that you may have not learned while sitting in the classroom wow those are all really good questions. So let's start with uh, what I learned from Siat that really helped me prepare. Uh, there were two things. The first one was just being a jack of all trades. Like Siat teaches you so many skills in tech and design, like a little bit of everything that could I, that I could use in starting a whole business entirely, like marketing, graphic design, visual design, filming, all that. That really puts you in a cut above the rest. You could go through different means, utilize different tools and different skill sets to provide more value to your boss or your company or your client, whoever. So that was mm-hmm. really, that was huge. The other thing I would, uh, that was most important for me coming out of SEAT, since SEAT promoted a lot of group projects and group work, it really taught you how to work in a team or a group. It cultivated that mindset and the language you use, the tone you use, the way you communicate, because that is the most important part of my job as a UX designer. And for a lot of people that I work with, because as a UX designer, I'm working with cross-functional teams who have their own language, who have their own abbreviations they use. Just being able to communicate could be difficult, but after coming out of Seattle, that transition for me was much easier. So those were the two most important things I, I would say I got out of Seattle. Yeah, to add on, I remember when I first entered Seattle, I was like, wow, like they teach a variety of things. And for the longest time, I was like, why, why do they do that? But now that you mentioned that, you know, it kind of trains us to be a jack of all trades and it's an advantage when we enter the workforce. Um, definitely makes a lot more sense. And when you mention communication, it's just funny how the biggest lesson that we learned from SIA is not deliberately taught. It's kind of 
more of the skills you learn when you're working in a team. But yeah, those are very good insights. For your co-op, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, I unfortunately was not able to do co-op officially because I was lacking time. So I did internships. So it was not exactly co-op, but it was job experience on the side while I was studying. But yeah, it doesn't matter. I got experience, basically. And that experience was honestly the start of everything because all of these skills were there. I, I had them. I just didn't know how to put them together. So when I got my first job, I was working for my friend's startup company, Meaningful Work. I was their lead designer. And I thought initially I knew everything I need to know to start and help that company. But then once I started working, I found out I didn't know anything. I mean, I mean, I knew things, but I didn't know how to apply them. Then I had to self-educate myself a lot. I went to different UX design communities. I got, I tried to get mentorship. I went to workshops. I, I, I looked up online, watched a lot of YouTube videos just to find out what exactly does a UX designer do? How do we apply all this knowledge and skills that I have? So I had to do that all by myself for a really long time, which made me, by the end of it, which made me really confident as a designer trying to break into the uh, job market as a full-time. In fact, if anything, once I got my first interview, I, that, that was basically it. I got the job. <laughs> I knew what I was doing. I was more confident into applying and going into the uh, interview. That's what set me apart compared to everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to school, Siat, you know, I feel like people learn differently. Some people learn better by reading textbooks and, you know, studying. Some people learn better hands-on, like myself. And so to the people who are listening, you know, if you do seem to struggle in your courses sometimes, maybe co-op would be a great option for you. And like Eric mentioned, you'll learn a lot of things that you may not learn in your courses, but of course, the many things you learn at SEAT, you can also learn to apply them to your job or whatever work you will be doing. Which transitions us to wanting to talk about passion and work, meaning I feel like a lot of students, especially, you know, the up and coming generation, we feel more and more pressure to kind of have everything figured out right away mm -hmm. and well I personally have reached this dilemma where should I pursue something that I'm passionate about or should I pursue you know a job that can maybe be more guaranteed but it might not necessarily follow what I like so I was wondering if you even feel the need to have to balance your passion and your job when you are passionate about your job and does it always feel like a job does it even feel like a job I think a lot of people want to know the answers to that question. Right. Very good question, first of all. My job is related and connected to my passion, but it's not my passion. I'm not working from my passion at my workplace. I'm working to fill a need at my workplace the way they want it to. Yes, I'm lucky that it's uh, related to UX design and I am passionate about UX design, but the job they asked me to do may not be particularly what I enjoy about UX because it has more business objectives and they need to get things done. Now, on the other hand, 
I do a lot of things outside of my job. They are connected to my passion since those things is something that I do personally, that I personally have more control over. That to me feels fun. Uh, a lot of people ask me like, Eric, what do you do after outside of your work? Why are you always work? Uh, where are you on the weekends? Why are you at this cafe outside of work? I was working, <laughs> doing things related uh, to UX. I'm like, no, this is okay. During work time, I was doing work. Now the work I do outside of my work time is my passion. I enjoy doing those. So keeping them kind of connected yet separate and have your day job basically support you with your night job, with your other passion. I have a great flexibility that way. That, that That's a balance that is a must. It's absolutely needed. Otherwise, you'll blur the line and your whole life, you'll be basically working for somebody else's passion than your own. That's great advice. I feel like sometimes people can get caught in the mix of trying to force those two aspects together, meaning I'm not going to be happy if these two aspects do not perfectly work well together. Mm -hmm. um, but I really like your approach to the balance of passion and work. Mm -hmm. Again, with passion, you know, with things you're passionate about, you can kind of talk on about them for hours, days, forever, oh, yes. right? Oh, yes, um, for sure. Say with me. What are some topics I can talk on? I can talk about fossil fuels for a long time. Most <laughs> random thing. The anime Hunter Hunter. I can talk about that all day. <laughs> that all a new day. chapter today. But yes. Yeah. And so like yourself, you're very passionate about UX design. And, you know, it's something you can talk about all day. And I feel like that also comes with education and educating others. Right. Um, do you think having a passion for UX design has kind of driven you towards becoming an educator and a speaker. Yes, basically. A uh, little bit of backstory, actually. The way I started my role as an educator was a bit more selfish. So the reason is I was basically using educating others as a form of educating myself. So when I'm trying to learn something, I'm trying to learn more about UX design, I am trying to also learn it to a point I can tell others, I can teach others. That way, it will make me feel like an expert. It, will, it helps with imposter syndrome. No, yeah, definitely. You you call it selfish, but I think that's how a lot of people learn. You just kind of tell yourself you're a teacher and you're a master <laughs> yes. at it. And then eventually you will become a master at it. Right. Fake it till you make it. It's very common. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's that's how it is. Like you, people, a lot of people don't believe it, but this is how everybody works in the industry, in in the entire like tech industry. But yeah, coming back um, to when I was teaching, uh, so you say I'm passionate about UX design, but I'm actually passionate about solving solving problems and meeting needs more. UX design is, I feel like, is a way I could impact and affect solving problems at a higher level. That's why I that's why I was really passionate about learning more and more about it and going through it. Now, when I was teaching it, it made me realize uh, there was a need for what I was teaching, which in turn inspired me to experiment with different types and styles of teaching and to figure out how to help people with this need 
in the best way possible because I love solving problems. I love meeting needs of people in the best way possible and using especially design thinking and all. It just mutually benefits each other. You're not, when you're teaching and educating, you don't, you're not just helping your students grow. You're helping yourself grow as well, be it as a person, be it as a UX designer, be it as a communicator, all that. Yeah, definitely. I can relate to that because I'm an art teacher for little kids. That's awesome. It's um, amazing. And obviously, I love drawing. I love art. But definitely the aspect of like teaching future artists. For me, it feels like I'm like a older sister who's like <laughs> kind of guiding them through techniques, skills. And in a way, it kind of transforms into even more meaningful work where you kind of become a mentor, you provide like a good space for your students to learn. Mm -hmm. So definitely relate to you. In terms of mentorship, I'm not sure how common it is in the industry, but do you think there needs to be more mentorship? Oh yes, definitely. Um, mentorship is definitely important. It's actually UX mentorship is very popular right now. But I would even emphasize on giving the right kind of mentorship that truly connects a mentor with the mentee's needs. Because a lot of time when somebody is giving mentorship to somebody for a, a mentee, they, they just gloss over surface level. They don't feel connected. They don't really understand what the student who came to them need or want. Also, the mentee might have some unreasonable requests, like they're literally asking your mentor to do your job for you at a certain point. So, yeah, I'm currently working on a lot of things on how do I fix that? How do I provide the right kind of mentorship for mentees? And how do, we, how do I provide a platform for mentors and mentees to connect in that proper way? Which was exactly um, what I found, actually, in my UX hackathon that I hosted, I hosted a UX hackathon last year called um, from VXP as a club from SFU. One of the really great results that came out of that was I accidentally put a experienced mentor in a team of complete newbies. And they, of course, like they won some prize at the end. But <laughs> when it came to getting feedback, the mentees were told, got back to me and told me they loved the fact that they had a person who was more experienced in the field help guide them and work with them towards a common objective for that given time, which was about 24 to 26 hours. And they learned skills and learned processes and communication that this is something you learn outside of your school in the at workforce. Even then, it's like still very hard to get. So just putting, just getting a guidance with an experienced UX designer working towards a common goal, that refinement is uh, what is always missing after you graduate a school, your university, get a bachelor's or even boot camps. That refinement is very much needed that recruiters look for in the field. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about education, you also mentioned marketing yourself, mm -hmm. which already kind of shows the entrepreneurial mindset you have. <laughs> Regarding that, this is just an observation of my own. But I find that if you compare CAT students to BD students, we're quite different. We're not 
as outgoing. We don't really touch grass that much. (laughs) Um, We kind of keep to ourselves. And so how important of a role does having that entrepreneurial mindset play in your career journey? Or would you advertise it as an essential trait that CET students who are looking to pursue UX design or careers surrounding that, should they have that trait? Yes, 100%. CET students are extremely talented and they get to experience all these projects and work they do just refines their skills even further. In fact, a lot of my uh, friends, they came out with with degrees in business, environment, science and all that, and they wished that they graduated from CET instead. So just being able to put yourself out there, being able to market yourself in some form of way, even just like a little bit, that will put you leaps and bounds further in your career. Yeah. I feel like a lot of CET students have imposter syndrome. So here's a confirmation that you are all very talented. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Even in the current job market, y'all think your designs are nothing. There are people that are so much better. Uh, There are people in your class that are doing so much better, has amazing designs. Don't worry about all that. You're still great as a designer because in the real world, you don't need something that's that pretty, that beautiful. People just need something that works. And we're more than capable of providing and meeting that need. Mm -hmm. You better write that down, CET students. (laughs) And, um, you know, talking about marketing yourself, Um, A portfolio would come with that, right? Um, You know, even when people are preparing for co-op, we have to create a portfolio. And this is more technical tips, but uh, how do you create a portfolio that will make you stand out from others? Because obviously, the market is incredibly saturated right now. And so how do you create that portfolio that that employer is going to be, yeah, that's the one? Uh, basically, treat it, treat your portfolio like a like a project. Treat it like design thinking project. See who you're trying to work for, what industry you're trying to work at, what skills would they value, what skills do you want, do you have that you want to put out there, and how to best display your skills. Keep all these in mind and think about showing and displaying your process. Have a process. Build a process, first of all. And that process could easily be the design thinking process that I mentioned before. And people love that. People love that you you don't just like blindly go in and come up with designs. People love seeing you have a process and have a reason to every design or visual or element that you, you have put up. And never be afraid to talk about your work because it's your work. You should be proud of your work. If nobody, if you're not going to be proud of your work, nobody else is going to be. That's that would be my advice. Yeah, that's great advice because maybe it's this is because you know the fear of unknown, just not knowing what to expect when we graduate. But I feel like you know a lot of students look for step by step, concrete kind of answers to how do I build a portfolio right but in reality I feel like it's probably a lot more fluid than that you know yes and this comes back to self-worth as well you know don't try to be someone else right you're (laughs) supposed to market yourself but yeah what do I know this is all you (laughs) Um, no this is all really good 
But um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. No problem. Um, Thanks for having me. If there, yeah, if there's anything you want to plug, you can do it now. Uh, first thing, I'm working with Ayatsu. We're going to be trying to host a UX design hackathon, UX hackathon for SFU students coming next year. And if you all want to participate or even help out volunteer somehow, like hit Rishabh up, the president of Ayatsu. Uh, second thing, I would like to promote my UX community that I'm part of called Vancouver Design Check-In. They are a Slack community. They have a lot of uh, experienced mentors and a lot of students who go on there and gain that mentorship for, and build that connection with a lot of existing designers. Plus, you might get a job, you know, you can get refer reference, which is amazing. Yeah. The other thing I would like to plug is just, yeah, I am always open for mentorship. You all could con connect. Everybody here can connect me with me on LinkedIn or any. Mainly, I'm trying to start a YouTube channel called the design guy i would gladly talk with you and help you with your portfolio and case studies and i do have a program that i do on the side where i try to help students build build their perfect case study in 30 days but yeah that's everything i wanted to plug i think <laughs> <laughs> you are cat famous now if you guys see eric ever say hi to him be like hey I listened to your episode um, and I loved it. But yeah, thank you so yeah. much for joining me today. And we will see you on the next episode of FCAT After School. See you. Bye-bye. <laughs>